from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, America. Hello, world. American Awakening Squad coming to you from all around the country. We got Hawaii, Illinois. We've got Florida. We got Boston. We got Vermont. We are ready to roll today. It's going to be a good day on the show. I'm so excited. And to kick us off, as always, Josh Jacob. Give it to us, buddy. Wait on my confidence. The years have stolen my innocence. It's hard to pay the price for this. Tonight could be the last to spend. Just see me through the night Just see me through the fire Somehow 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 Oh I'm looking for ways to hide from the walls between every voice inside it's something that I can't describe so I just wait for you tonight Another day and time will fix what I can erase, but it all feels million miles away, and I don't think I'll get there anyway. Can you change my thoughts? Can you change my thoughts around? And I pray you'll stay for now. Can you say what's breaking down? Just see me through the fight somehow. Somehow, just see me through the night, just see me through the fight, somehow, somehow, just see me through the night, just see me through the fight, so. Through 
through the night Just see me through the fire Somehow Kicking it off with a little bad boy action there from uh, Josh. Joy Beth Smith's with us from uh, Christianity Today. Hooray. But bringing the inspiration first will be Joel Searby from Florida and the Daily Dose. All right. Hey, everybody. So speaking of stories and great stories and acting, uh, there's this, this truth that I believe that we are all living out of a certain storyline, that there is, if you will, a through line of all of our lives, a narrative. And we may not always realize it, but we're deeply influenced by these narratives that we subscribe to. Another way to think about this might be to say, what do I believe is happening in the world? How do I interpret everything that's going on in the world, in my life? And, you know, if we allow any kind of media to be the primary narrative for our lives, it's gonna be a pretty bleak, dark, awful, angry, divided kind of a, of a narrative. Whether that's social media, mainstream media, while there's certainly some truth threaded through there, there's a whole bunch of things that any single media narrative misses. And so there's a way that we as people of faith are to believe in the much larger truths, the way that we piece our story together and understand our story and the direction that we believe the world is heading really matters a lot. Now, I believe that there is a God, that there is an author to our story and to the story of all of time and history and people. And so when we think about that, I think it's critical that as Jesus taught us, if we believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus, that there is something about if we build our house on a narrative that is something other than God's narrative, it's like building that house on sand. And that, that house is going to tumble when tough times come. But if we build our house on God's truth, on his truth, it's like building our house on a rock where when the tough times come, we know the narrative, we know the story, we know the end of the story, and it allows us to endure the really hard times. Now, I know that we live in a moment where like postmodernism, post-postmodernism, modernism, all these kinds of philosophical traditions are kind of colliding and whose truth, my truth, let me speak my truth, is there truth? I'm just here declaring from my perspective and what all of historical Christianity would say is that there is truth. There is an author to this story. That author is God. And his story is one of redemption and love and bringing us together. The long arc of redemption that is God's story will allow us to see that he is making all things new. And we can find hope to endure the tough times when we understand that God is the author of our story. So that's your Daily Dose for the day. Back to you guys. That is uh, something to uh, wrestle with and and to live into. Um, you know, I I, I read uh, read your piece first this morning, uh, Joel. As is usual on the best days of my life, I get three doses of Joel Searby. I get the <laughs> I had the reading version of him this morning. I had the ten o'clock prayer version of him, which did a different a different teaching. And we had, we had preacher teacher on on uh, the ten o'clock uh, devotional with with Joel. Um, and now, and, and, and you know, I was, I've been thinking about that. Yeah, you know, just that the the idea of like what what storyline are we actually looking for? I mean, you know, so what what's the what's the through line for everything? And I'm guilty as charged of of following whatever somebody's telling me it is out there in the moment. So I'm, I I appreciate you bringing it up. And and you know, I I I wonder whether I will there'll come a moment where I'm able to live into actually consistently live into the right narrative rather than sort of come in and come out of it. But um, any hope for that, Joel? 
Well, I mean, that's part of the challenge, but that's why we're doing this together, right? That's why this isn't just the John Kingston or the Marissa Prince show. This is the us show because all of us, you know, God's narrative isn't just threaded through our lives through scripture, though I believe it is. And it's not just threaded through our lives through like our own personal faith, but part of how he threads this narrative is through us, right? He tells the story through us and we need to tell it back to each other. So that's where I find the hope, John. It's like, yeah, because there's days I don't believe it. I believe a whole different narrative about myself, about the world, about politics, about all kinds of stuff. And I need somebody else who's got faith, like Marissa, who does a great job of that with me, like, hey, freedom, hey, God's love, hey, purpose. And uh, and we tell that story to each other. That's uh, very well said. Um, we do live in community. We do, uh, we're meant to live in community. And, and a lot of times, um, you know, as we tell each other back and forth over and over again, but we still need to be reminded, a lot of time God's love is only obvious to us through the other person. Like, oh, oh mm-hmm. I've lost the thread of the narrative. I've lost yep. the through line. And then Marissa tells me what it is, or my wife tells me what it is, or whatever. You know, somebody mm-hmm. says, oh, John, you're looking at the wrong, wrong, wrong storyline. The real storyline's yeah. happening here. I'm like, oh, yeah. Let me remember that for the next 15 minutes before I forget it again. I think we really are the best parts, like the heart of each other's storylines. I really do. I mean, I think, like, we often think, like, you know, I'm my storyline, what I mm. do, my choices, whatever. Mm. But, like, I mean, the richest parts, like, the best parts of every movie— Aren't like, you know, that's why I didn't like Castaway. Sorry, Tom Hanks. <laughs> but like, you know, the best parts of every movie are the interactions, the the playing off, the encouraging, the doing life together. You know? Wow. I understand what you're saying. There's some merit to it. All right. I'm leaving it alone. Yeah. Um, Je- Je- Jeff Bethke, bring it to us from Maui, friend. Yeah, something to chew on. Thinking and reading this morning and last night, I was reading Psalm 119 this morning, and there was a, there was a little phrase that just caught my eye that I wanted to chat about it, specifically in this season, whether it's the, the conversation around race, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's just the anxiety and pressure that everyone's feeling. And essentially, there's a couple different translations I read out of the ESV. So the first time I saw it, it said, uh, Psalm 119, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight, and they are also my counselors. Um, and I just love that. And I was thinking about that this morning. Another another translation says, you know, uh, instead of testimonies, you can say decrees, you can say laws, you can say statutes. So uh, God's, God's decrees, God's law, God's instruction, God's testimony uh, was David's delight. And then they were also his counselors. And I just love that phrase because I want, I, I posed back a question to myself that I want to pose to you. And that is, who are your counselors? Because at the end of the day, we all have counselors. We all are listening to someone or something. Most of us, our counselors are not the, 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 and for some reason, Siri disagreed with me right there. I don't know if you heard that. Um, or she's disagreeing with me. She goes, hold on, that's not my instructions. Uh, see, she's actually jumping in at that moment because that is our, our, our counselors are usually Siri, are usually our phone, are usually technology, right? They're not the, the vision that God has for humanity, the vision God has for human flourishing, his Torah, his instruction, his, um, his ways, his decrees. That's not our counselors. That's not what we listen to. A lot of us listen to people we shouldn't be listening to. We listen to, and our counselors are the the, the, the news feed, the anxiety-ridden, fast-paced information that we talked about a little bit in the American Awakening and Focus, I think, last week. So that's just that's something to chew on for today. That's a question. Is who are your counselors? And if it's outside of God's law and statutes, it might not be a good one. It might not lead to human flourishing or blessing. Because as we know, Psalm 119 is this huge reflection on the Torah, which a lot of us, we think of that, uh, that means just law, but it really just means instruction. God's vision 
for his image bearers um, that we then see reach its climax in Jesus as the true image bearer who gives us that example. Um, but man, if we don't aren't listening to to God's way of how we should work and how things are lined up to work, then it won't go well for us. And I think a lot of us are seeing that right now with what we are listening to and the bad counselors that we are going to for advice. So something to chew on, but hopefully that's a little nugget for you guys. Back to you guys. Well, there's a lot of connective tissue, um, obviously, between that point and what Marissa was just saying and Joel was saying, you know, t- you know, sort of. The spirit knew. Right. Boom. Boom. I said, yeah, you know, so, so you're, you're right. I mean, you know, who are, who are the truth tellers? I mean, you know, there, there's so many ways um, to not be listening to the truth. It's so easy, right? It is so easy. It's in our natures. It's in all the inputs we get and, and, and figuring out who, who can actually keep our heads screwed on straight. Um, that's a big deal. And I think there's something to be said for there are lots of decisions that we make where we feel like we go and we find the reliable source that we can talk to and get guidance mm-hmm. from. But on the day-to-day basis, there's so much that's affecting our worldview that we don't even understand. Like subconsciously, yeah. we're just getting all of this, you know, whether it's from reality TV or the radio yeah. or people in chit chat and all of that. And I feel like those things shape our view of ourselves and of God and of each other just as much as those big decision moments. But I'm much less discerning about those like subtle inputs than I am about the big decision moments. And I shouldn't be. Mm. That's a good point. And they form us just as much, if not more, because we don't really have any type of guard up around the, the little moments. Say that again, if you could, Joy Beth. I think, I think I'm tracking you, but like, like so are you talking about like sort of in the quiet moments when you're just like not really facing something exactly? And how are you, how are you sorting inputs then? So if I'm on like date four with a guy and, mm-hmm. and I, maybe there are like a couple of red flags or yellow flags even where I'm just not sure as to like if I should pursue this or not. So that's obviously when I go to like the people that I trust, people who are in solid marriages, people who've dated a lot, people who I feel like they know me really well. And I, and I bring those issues to them. We talk it out. It's good to go. And then there's a date five. But if there are like other instances where it's not so clear cut that you should be seeking advice, you know, maybe I'm actually just like ruminating about a lot of anxiety about work. And so I distract myself with Netflix Mm. or I just call and have like a chit chat conversation with my dad, but we're not actually dealing with like a thing. I'm just getting input into something as my mind is like churning over and over and over again. And I feel like in those moments, I have to be really careful because I'm much more likely to try and distract myself with something like almost like immediately pleasurable in some way, like the Netflix distraction or a music distraction or go for a run. And those things are great, but they're also not helping me form my worldview in a healthy way. You know, they're not helping me reach an answer that if anything, they're just kind of like muddling my mind. Mm, that's that's that's, good. that's uh, helpful. Um, yeah, I love that. Well, it sounds like you're saying that. Yeah, just that when we think of counselors, we think of the place we go when we're terribly struggling or need some huge advice or whatever. When counselors are just really any input, so like every second is a counselor. You know, by the way, we're talking about it, and and we have to be just as weary of that as of the big ones. Yeah. That's a way better way to say it, yeah. Calvin, what's happening out there, friend? So here's what's going on in the world. We got the U.S. saw a record number of 60,021 new coronavirus cases Tuesday. And across the nation, 35 states are seeing growing numbers of new cases from last week. Uh, while the COVID-19 mortality rate uh, may be on decline, the nearly 3 million cases in the ICUs at capacities show the U.S. is still in the grips of the pandemic with no signs of slowing down. 
Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego said, uh, we need medical professionals, we need testing kits, we need supplies immediately. Our hospitals are already in dire straits. They tell us in the next two weeks, it is going to get to an unbearable level of crisis. Also on Tuesday, uh, President Trump, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, and other senior White House officials pressed governors and mayors to physically reopen all schools in the fall. The president and administration argued that the social, psychological, and educational costs of keeping students at home any longer would be worse than the virus itself. Trump said, and I quote, the moms want it, the dads want it, the kids want it, so it's time to do it. However, states and localities are struggling to restructure academic settings, staff, and programs that weren't built to keep students six feet apart or cope with the requirements of combating coronavirus. In a conference call with governors, DeVos criticized school administrations that have done what she said next to nothing to educate students during the pandemic and also criticized specific school districts for, as she said, playing both paradigms and planning a hybrid of in-person and online classes for the fall. And lastly, top-ranked universities on Tuesday condemned the announcement by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, aka ICE, that international students will have to leave the country or transfer if their colleges opt to have only online classes in the fall. Uh, Schools including Harvard, UPenn, and Columbia sought to reassure international students following the announcement, with Harvard and UPenn both saying that they would work with other institutions to chart a path forward to ensure students can continue their studies without fear being forced to leave the country midway through the year. The Association of American Universities released a statement which read, This policy change would also have negative economic impacts because international students spend millions of dollars in our communities every year. Uh, It is also likely uh, to do further damage to our nation's universities, which are already struggling with unprecedented uncertainty, massive logistical complications, and significant financial losses due to an ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. According to CNBC, over 1 million international students in the U.S. contributed $41 billion to the economy in the 2018 to 2019 academic year. There you have it. That's what's going on out in the world. And uh, over to you, Joy Beth. CT is back this week with another poll and floating with this theme of community, which we didn't know was going to tie together so well. But uh, I was kind of playing off of that as I created this question. And the question actually feels... Um, really applicable to me personally. So I have a lot of thoughts on it. And I was glad to see that a lot of other people had thoughts on it too. So we asked our readers, for those who've been working remotely, do you need physical presence with coworkers to feel stability in your role and relationships? So does that lack of physical presence make you feel less stable in your role and relationships? That's the the same question. And 43% said, I feel stable regardless, which I think is really great. Like we're, there are lots of hard things right now. And for people to not have to worry about that is awesome. 9% said that their relationships improved. I would love to talk to those people. 42% said that they need that in-person time and that maybe their relationships or their 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 sense of stability and community have suffered as a result. So uh, we've some really interesting quotes this week. Mandy Fowler writes, my work relationships have suffered. I never realized how much I depended on feedback and decisions coming from the quick hallway conversations that are so frequent in person. Without the regular personal connections, there's been more miscommunication and misunderstandings. 
floating on that same idea, Jenna wrote in that she thinks communication and community are more intentional now, whereas before it was just assumed that people felt included and were part of the team and that people heard things by proximity. Now everything has to be planned and you can't make those assumptions. And then this is one that I... uh, This was a comment that was written in that I really resonate with. I've been a remote worker for years, so very little changed for me at the start. But now the extended period with limited in-person interaction, because this person also lives alone, is wearing on me. I'm lonely and weary. And so especially as a single woman who uh, for the majority of quarantine lived alone, I didn't have a roommate. So for months I would be by myself and I didn't have that in-person interaction. I feel like that isolation, while I feel stable in my job, it's almost like the lack of that in-person communication has also, it's really hampered me and it's hampered like my thriving, which I hate. So my question for you guys is how will the shifting job market affect our sense of stability and community, both for those immediately impacted by unemployment and for those who positions have changed in recent months, whether they've gone remote or whatever. So how, how does all of this affect our sense of stability and community? Well, I, I really, I really like the comment there about um, all the little small conversations that happen, um, the unplanned ones. Of course, it may, you know, the flip side is you got to be intentional, which is great. But, um, but so much of life, you know, and the spice of life, as well as the spice of like professional creativity, right, happens in those moments where you just kind of like rubbing shoulders, and so it's like you lose a piece of relational capital and you lose, I think, creative capital when you're not having that in-person interaction, unless you're literally like sitting like we are now online all day long with each other. You just don't have those little moments where you're like, oh, I just thought of something. And then you run to the corner, you know, and talk to somebody. So I think those are those are losses. Well, yeah, it reminds me of what is it? Pixar's headquarters that was specifically built to foster like connection that didn't mean anything or was for no purpose at some level, right? Where the lobby's enormous and that kind of you have to get from here to here. You have to walk by people for exactly that reason to create almost like push people into those moments where it's small micro bits. But I think on top of that, what I, what I always like to think of is, you know, the internet at its core, which is not bad, but this is just like its platform is transactional and efficiency based, right? It's meant to, you get on to get something. You're not, you're not, most people don't get on to like go serve someone or go, you know, it's like you get on to take something, to read something, to engage with something, to consume with something. But we started to like, but if you're on there so much, you start consuming each other, right? You start consuming yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think, yeah, there's something about that. That's what we've lost because the real life has too many moments that are not for efficiency's sake. They're not for consumption's sake. It's, it's just, it's just life, you know, so you're going to have all those moments where you rub up against each other and stuff. So I don't know, but I think, yeah, I think that's the downside of the internet is that, you know, that's all we're getting right now is transactional kind of commodified, efficient moments uh, with exceptions. But yeah, that really hurts human relationship. I will say for the thousandth time, that's one of the reasons I love this show and being with you guys in the setting is because I do not like Zoom. You know, my, my coworkers know that I will go conference call over Zoom, you know, nine out of 10 times just because it just put an artificial pressure on an interaction, which is unnecessary to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not against it. You know, everybody who likes it, God bless you. Go, go, go Zoom, 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 all that sort of thing. So Zoom away if you want to Zoom. Uh, for me, it's, it's a conference call thing because I just like it much more. But but when we're in this space here and it feels very intentional, very uh, personal when I'm with you guys here, then you, you get to pick up moments like the the, the the freedom moment, right? I mean, like, you, you know, we didn't get on the air to comment on, you know, and go down a, go down the trail of, of talking about Joy Best hair and how cool it is. 
But but all of a sudden you are right. It's the spontaneous, the in, the seemingly inconsequential, but you, it lifts your spirit somehow, right? That word intentionality seems to be something that we should focus on. Uh, I think, and especially to answer your question, Joy Beth, of you know how to recover the sense of stability and community in the shifting job market, right? I think it community and especially actually community so far, it, it seems like something you do have to focus on and make time and room for. It is no longer something where, well, Jeff, you probably know the stats was like 80% of your day, you know, the hours are spent in the office. So it's no longer you have that, you can't go in expecting, you know, that you are going to engage with people. I think that was a luxury or a privilege that now I think many folks no longer have. So I think it is something that I think more energy, more intentionality has to go into being like, I want the community element because I'm now feeling its absence that you have to make the effort to go find it and create it. It's actually interesting to me that people are so, um, well, I mean, again, yeah, we're recognizing a lot now that we didn't before. But I mean, for a whole bunch of us, the workplace was a place that you did work, but then when you were getting the sense that your time was out, you were searching for new jobs while you were there. And there are people who sort of are routinely moving around pretty regularly, and that's their sort of, you know, regular MO. Almost nobody's staying in any place for, you know, 10 years anymore, five, seven, 10 years. That's outside of what a lot of people do. Um, but it's interesting that, like, you know, even in that framework, I guess what I'm focused on more is, is it that we're lacking stability in so many other places that even in this place where we might not necessarily look to it for stability, like because it's absent everywhere else, now we're, we're grabbing onto it in the workplace. I mean, it, I, I don't know. It just, it, it seems like we're, we're not, we're, like the day is over for people who are career workers in one place where like you're watching your coworkers' kids grow up that, that like almost never happens. But is it just that we're so like bereft of stability in other places that like now we won't talk about it like on the job? Mm, that's good. I, I think it is, Marissa. I mean, I think a lot of us, uh, and I wouldn't really put myself in this category, but I know a lot of folks who who just don't have a lot of deep relationships, period. And at least at work, they were getting some version of a real-ish relationship. And if you don't have it anywhere else, then yeah, you're going to put a lot of stock in there. And then I think there's also like, a, there's a deep desire to be known in all of us. I believe that. And when you're at physically at work with a bunch of people, it's really hard to hide certain emotions all the time. I mean, people try, but then it's like, even if you don't want someone to know that you're having a really bad day, they're going to see it. And there's something actually really healthy about that, as opposed to like, oh, I don't feel good. I'm not getting on Zoom or I'm only going <laughs> to get audio in today and nobody's going to see like my drooping face and realize I'm depressed. I can just kind of fake it way easier um, when there's no, you know, in-person presence. So... Well, this goes goes to that uh, point, which which I've been thinking about a, a ton lately. And a chapter in the book is about living life together in person rather than being remote, right? So you know, we'll. we'll it, so I've thought about it a lot since we since we uh, uh, wrote the chapter. And you know, there's just a lot of good science on that. We've talked about that here, and the you know the whole oxytocin um, thing, the whole like you know, you look into the eyes of either you know another living being. It can be 
animals sometimes, right? It's not humans are the highest form of this, but you look into their eyes and life is, is reflected back and there is a different affect you have. And it's, of course, with human beings, with whom, especially with somebody you're close, you know, that sort of eye to eye exchange is actually, tr you know, triggering, you know, a chemical reaction inside you, which is a favorable one um, because there's a magic to that. We're made for that. And there's no way you can accomplish that, you know, on an audio conference, on a Zoom call, however intentional you are, um, and, and especially ones that come up in sort of the spontaneous spaces. You know, it just, it's just really, really, really hard. There's a certain something to that which is not recreatable in any other way. Like legitimately, you cannot recreate that. Now, now it doesn't mean that these other things aren't great proxies for it, but they are great proxies for it. And there's ways you can fill it in. But anyway. Does that mean to say, and I'm, I'm going to cycle back to you and, uh, and your jam joy, Beth, that like those people that are like dating now on Zoom during Corona, is it like, you know, don't get taken in by what you think you're seeing on the Zoom? You got to wait for real life. I, I think that those people who are making the choice to be safe and to have Zoom dates, I think that's absolutely the advice I would give them. Mm. And I would not advise going out on dates right now because I have. And that is a that is a risk of exposure. And then the date doesn't go well. And you're like, all I got out of this was pancakes and a risk for coronavirus. So I would highly recommend a Zoom date, but I would take it with a grain of salt and make yourself pancakes. You know, there, there is so much wisdom brought in this show. I mean, in so many different ways. And it's always unexpected, right? I didn't show up. I, I didn't know I'd get anything in the dating space or pancake space today. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Josh, Jacob, can you like bring this to a rousing conclusion? My brother, my sister, God love you and God bless you. My brother, my sister, God love you and God bless you. May God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. May God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. My brother, my sister, God love you and God bless you. My brother, my sister, God love you and God bless you. May God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. May God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. Bring me your higher Ha!
brother, my sister, God love you, God bless you. My brother, my sister, God love you, God bless you. Yeah, that's a way to bring us out. Thanks so much, everybody out there. So good to be with you guys on the show. All the people out there, we're still praying for you. We're thinking about you. No matter how big Corona gets, no matter how crazy the world is, uh, God's got you. And remember the the big narrative and find folks out there that are going to tell you what the real truth is. And God bless you until we're with you next. Uh, Keep fighting the good fight. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, AmericanAwakening.us. Relevant Podcast Network.